Good morning, church. It's uh, good to see you. Um, it's good to be here. I'm so glad uh, that I had this opportunity to be here as I kind of get settled here. <laughs> uh, you can, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the Old Testament book of First Chronicles. The Old Testament book of First Chronicles is kind of where we'll be and kind of hang out. And I was thinking about where to go this morning, and the Lord laid this on my heart. It's kind of a I figured I would relay a lot of <laughs> biblical truth while also trying to get, let you get to know me a little bit, uh, since I'm a stranger to almost all of you here, <laughs> um, but it is good to be here. My name is Pastor Brad. I uh, pastor a church in southwest Francis, Florida, as they mentioned, Grace Baptist Church, and uh, I've been there since at the beginning of this year, actually. I uh, got ordained as a Baptist minister at, in February, and I'm just really excited to see the Lord uh, work and grow in my life. I'm uh, originally from South Carolina. I moved down here a couple years ago with my wife. Uh, she's from this area in Fort Lauderdale. Um, but anyways, it is so good to be here. Uh, if you're in First Chronicles, we're going to read a couple of verses there in a second. But I was thinking, you know, um, the English language has a lot of powerful words. There's a lot of words in the English language that mean a lot of things. And I was kind of thinking, you know, what's the most powerful word in the English language? What's, what's the word that has a lot of force behind it? And I think some words might come to mind, you know, words like courage or, or bravery or, or words like sacrifice or hero. Those are strong words. Those are powerful words. Um, but I don't really think they are strong in and of themselves. They, they kind of picture strength, but they, the words themselves don't have a lot of power. Uh, I was thinking of another powerful English word, and that is the word love, right? And love is a powerful word. When you say, I love you to someone, it can literally change your life. Um, that love is a powerful word. But I was actually thinking that... One of the most powerful words in the English language is also the one that I probably heard a lot growing up. And it's also one of the shortest words. It's the word no. No is a powerful word. No contains a lot of power. I'm learning this. I have a two-year-old daughter, and we're learning how to say no to her. Even when she tries to look cute at us and tries to put on the sad eyes and get us to not say no, we're learning to say no to her. Uh, but no is a short word, but it packs a lot of punch. It packs a lot of power. And I think it, the power that the word no has comes in sort of two phases. Uh, it comes in a phase of protection. It also comes in a phase of prevention. So as parents, my wife and I are learning to use the word no to protect our daughter. No, don't touch that electrical outlet. No, don't throw that. No, don't play in the street. <laughs> Those are words that we, we say no in those contexts to protect her for something. We're not trying to ruin her life. We're actually trying to help her have a better life, right? Um, but I think, you know, as a teenager's kids, we often see no as just a prevention word, right? We see it as if our parents are preventing us from enjoying something. And uh, we often see that uh, this word no as sort of like a, a barrier, right, from uh, what we foresee or pretend to be a better life, but often no is a word of protection. I have to admit to you that there's been a couple times in my life where I've seen the word no said to me by God as just a word of prevention. I don't know about you, but um, when God says no to me, 
I often act like a little kid having a temper tantrum. (laughs) But you don't have to answer it out loud, but what's your reaction, though, when God says no to you? When, When he says no, he prevents you from doing something, when he denies you what you foresee or perceive as something to be good in your life, and he says no, he rejects that plan, what's your reaction? Do you still see it as God preserving you, as God protecting you, as God um, trying to uh, put his hand on you in that moment? Or do you have a temper tantrum? Do you have, um, uh, have an angry sort of attitude towards it? Well, I want to look at an instance of God's denial, God saying no to an important man of God. And it's here in First Chronicles 17. It's actually with the man of God we know as King David. Um, King David, of course, is that famous king of Israel, the most powerful king uh, or the most uh, prominent king of Israel. And we see here David is nearing the end of his life. He's coming towards, uh, he's in the twilight of his life. And he is, um, he has this desire. Look at, look at verse 1 of 1 Chronicles chapter 17. And it says, Now it came to pass, as David sat in his house, that David said to the prophet Nathan, Lo, I dwell in a house of cedars, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord remaineth under curtains. Now we know, if you know your Old Testaments, that this has been the plan, this has been sort of what has happened all throughout the life and the uh, in, in, throughout the life of the, the nation of Israel, they would transport the ark and they would deconstruct this uh, this temple out of curtains and it was very elaborate. There's lots of uh, things that they made that temple out of, but it was wasn't a permanent place. There was no permanent place for which the people of God would go and worship. And so David has this desire in his heart. This passion comes on to him. And he says, I want to build a permanent house of worship for God. I want to build a place where generation after generation of families and believers can come together and worship the Lord God. The God that had delivered them all throughout their lives. And he, he has this desire. It's a good desire, right? It's a lofty desire. And actually what's interesting is that in verse 2 we see that the prophet Nathan even confirms this desire. Look at what Nathan says. Verse 2 of First Chronicles 17. Then Nathan said unto David, Do all that is in thine heart, for God is with thee. So it, it seems clear now. That David has this desire. He's going to construct a temple for the Lord Jesus. For their Jehovah God. And he would build this place where uh, generation after generation of Israelites and believers could come and give God his glory. The praise that he is due. It would be natural for us to conclude if we just, just read these two verses. That this is a good desire. It's a desire that David wants to honor the Lord with. That God is going to allow that desire to be carried out. He's going to uh, give David everything that he needs to have this plan come about. But God's plans were different for David. God's plans were a lot different for David. Because God actually denies him this plan. God says no to David. Look at verse 3. And it came to pass the same night... 
that the word of God came to the prophet Nathan saying, Go and tell David the king, my servant, thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not build me a house to dwell in. For I have not dwelt in a house since the day that I brought up Israel unto this day, but have gone from tent to tent and from one tabernacle to another. And he goes on to explain some of the reasons that we don't always have to get into this morning as to why. But God says no to David. God says no. The good desire that David had, the King David, the, the David that we know of from uh, other in, in the First Samuel, the guy that we know of as the man after God's own heart, his desire wasn't to be a reality. His desire to build a temple for the Lord was denied. God said no to him. And it, it, I don't know how I would react in that situation. I definitely don't think I would react how David does. Because as we learn from uh, a couple chapters over, um, David is denied this plan. And does he sit around and sulk and feel sorry for himself, have a pity party? No, he actually gets to work. He actually uh, begins con building up uh, resources, materials, construction supplies in order to build this house. A house, mind you, that he would never get to see. And yet he is busy. Look at First Chronicles chapter 22, just a couple pages over. And we see here, look at verse 2. So it says, And David commanded to gather together the strangers that were in the land of Israel and the set masons. And he set masons to hew wrought stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails, for the doors of the gates, and for the joinings. And brass in abundance without weight. Also cedar trees in abundance. For the Zidonians and they of Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. And David said, Solomon my son is young and tender. And the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent. Of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. <laughs> David's not sitting around. David is not having a, a, a sad little self-contained little pity party. Because God said no to him. He is busy about the work of God. And not just busy. He is preparing as it says the word that's repeated there. In abundance. He's not just collecting a few nails from Home Depot. He is collecting tons and tons and tons of resources in order to make this house, the house, again, that he would never get to enjoy, that he would never get to walk in, that he would never get to see. He is preparing for that. Preparing abundantly, it says. Again, I would often wonder, knowing my own heart like I do, how I were, how, how I, I would be in this same situation. God's saying no to me. Would I be as diligent as David? Would I be as uh, dedicated as David? Nevertheless, King David charges his son Solomon with this task of building the temple. He's, he goes to him and... Because he is the one, Solomon is the one that would get to enjoy the magnificence, the splendor of this temple, this house of the Lord. If you're still in 1 Chronicles 22, look at verse 6. I'm going to read down through verse 11. Then he, that is David, he calls for Solomon his son, and he's charging him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. Verse 7, and David said to Solomon, my son... As for me, it was in my mind to build a house unto the name of the Lord my God. 
But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thou hast shed blood abundantly, and hast made great wars. Thou shalt not build an house unto my name, because thou hast shed much blood upon the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to thee, who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies round about, for his name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quietness unto Israel in his days. And he shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father. And I will establish his throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, the Lord, be with thee, and prosper thou, and build the house of the Lord thy God, as he hath said of thee. So David makes the preparations. He gets the blueprints ready, so to speak. The plans were made. The materials were collected. And again... <laughs> The building that David would never get to see. The man after God's own heart would never get to walk in God's house. <laughs> I find that such an interesting uh, uh, fact to me. Such an interesting truth that this man who was so close to the Lord never got to walk in his temple. David desired a good thing. He desired to construct this house for God. But God had a better plan. <laughs> As is always the case, we may have a plan for our lives, but God has a far exceedingly more abundant, better plan for our lives. God promises to David uh, and that his offspring would usher in a, a, a kingdom of peace. And not just peace temporally, peace eternally. He said that he will reign forever. Turn one page back, back to 1 Chronicles chapter 17 and look at verse 10. I love these verses. Look at verses 10 through 12. This is David, and he says, And since that time I commanded judges to be over my people Israel. Moreover, I will subdue all thine enemies. That's what God is promising to David. Furthermore, I tell thee that the Lord will build thee in house. Ooh, isn't that interesting? God's going to build David a house. David's not going to build God a house. God is going to do the building. <laughs> And it shall come to pass, when the days be expired, that thou must go to be with thy fathers, that I will raise up thy seed after thee. That's a good word to circle, thy seed. Which shall be of thy sons, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build me in house, and I will establish his throne forever. What a great promise. <laughs> I think certainly from the context that these verses are directly related to David's son Solomon. He's going to build the house. But I can't help to think that the writer of this book, the writer of Chronicles, when he chose that word there in verse 11, that he will raise up thy seed after thee, he didn't do it by accident. Because, you see, God wasn't just going to raise up Solomon after David. He was going to bring forth from David's line a savior. That Jesus Christ is coming from the line of David. And he says, I will raise up thy seed. The same word that's from Genesis 3.15 where it says the seed is going to crush the serpent's head. That we know of as the promise of Jesus coming and ruling and reigning forever. You see, I think, folks, that this promise here, God is saying, 
Don't worry about building a house for me. I'm going to build a house for you. And it's going to be ruled and it's going to be reigned by King Jesus. Not by King David. Not by King Solomon. It's King Jesus. The seed who's coming. The promised one from David's line. It says elsewhere in 2 Samuel 7, which is sort of a parallel passage of the same story. You don't have to turn there, but he says, And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee, which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will establish his kingdom. The true and the better David was going to come, and he was going to build a house on this earth, a kingdom on earth. A kingdom that will be without end. Without ceasing. You see, David might have wanted to build God a house, but God had a better plan. He was going to build David a house (laughs) in which Jesus was ruling and reigning. This is the covenant of God to David. Something much better than anything that David could have ever pulled off in his whole life. And he promises to establish his kingdom forever. Not just one generation later, but forever. And so David, though, passes away. He he passes away after making all this preparation. God had closed a door on him, yes. But he had opened up another one. Actually, he had given uh, David a denial of one plan. But he had promised deliverance through him with an even better plan. And isn't that just like our God, I think, <laughs> that we may not always ever, we, might, we may not hear now understand it, we may not ever understand it, but he is always working things out to show himself great in faithfulness, as that great hymn says. Even if that means bringing you to your wit's end, as they say, bringing you to the end of your rope, God is working in a way to show you that he is the great one, the great one in faithfulness. And you know, I... I can remember, I say that to say this, that I remember feeling this way at the beginning of 2017. You see, I, I pastor a church now, I'm assistant pastor of a church in Southwest Ranches, but I used to be a student pastor of a church in Stewart, Florida. And I remember I, ever since I've been in college, it has been, I felt the calling of the Lord to preach to pastor. And I'm very thankful for that. I'm very humbled by that God would ever use a wicked sinner like me to preach. But I remember uh, I had gotten this opportunity to be at this church. And it was very clear within six weeks that I was not supposed to be at this church. That it wasn't that there was something bad going on or anything like that. It was just it wasn't the right place. I had rushed into this position and, and I had probably made a, a foolhardy decision. And as strongly as I felt called to that church, I knew that God was laying on me, hey, you're not supposed to be here. And for a guy who grew up thinking that he was going to be in full-time ministry, that was kind of world-shattering for me. (laughs) That I had given my heart to preach, and yet God was saying, no, you're not going to preach right now. That you're not going to pastor right now. I remember not knowing why God would lead me away from that. Why God would take me away. I I felt God saying no to me. And I didn't understand why. And honestly, I have to say to you, I was a little bit depressed. Because I had 
I had so many questions. If I wasn't called to this church up in Stewart, where was I called? If I'm not supposed to uh, minister to this church, am I even really called to minister at all? And why, God, why are you putting this desire to preach in me if you're not going to let me do it? <laughs> why are you giving me this, this passion and not letting me fulfill it? And that's when God something brought, to, brought something to my mind that's been... Like an inescapable thought for me ever since then. Ever since the beginning of 2017. And that's, I don't have to be anybody to be somebody for God. I don't have to have a stage. I don't have to have a pulpit. I just have to be faithful where I am. I'd be faithful with my context. And that was me, honestly. I have to confess that to you. That I kind of wanted to be somebody. I kind of wanted to have attention, wanted to have acclaim, I wanted to have applause, I wanted to have uh, people amening quotable sermons. <laughs> but God's plans were greater for me than my own plans. I had made a desire that, but God he was getting me to learn that he didn't need me to be you know, a, a person to start a movement. He didn't need me to be the next quote-unquote gospel crusader. He didn't need me to be on all these speaking things. In fact, he didn't even need me to be a pastor at that point in time. He just wanted me to be faithful where I was. I was looking ahead, and God was saying, no, be faithful where you are. Be faithful with what I'm going to do through you right here and right now. And I have to be honest with you, I'm still learning that. Still uh, struggling with being content where I am. Content with just being a really good father, a really good dad, a really good husband, and a really faithful disciple. <laughs> but that's what Jesus wants. All he wants is that simple faithfulness. I think God closed the door on me early that year because he knew that I needed a few more seasons of meekness under my belt. I needed to learn that I wasn't the centerpiece. I wasn't the focal point. I wasn't the point. Jesus was the point. And I think God wanted me to learn what I like to call this lesson of ordinary grace. He wanted me to learn firsthand that true ministry, true gospel ministry is most clearly seen in very small ways. Not through really loud sermons, really popular sermons or anything like that. But the most important things in life and in ministry require you to do really small, really overlooked things over a long period of time. It's about faithfulness in those small things. That, I think that's a verse, right, where it says, if you are faithful and small, I will put you over much. And that's the tough part about being a Christian, right? We want quick fixes. We want really quick silver bullet fixes, so to speak. But it, the tough part about the Christian faith is being faithful in the repetitive sort of seasons of life. Because nothing upsets us more than not being noticed, right? <laughs> We want people to uh, notice us. We, we make sure that we, our voice is heard. We, we're all motivated by really big dreams. And, and we, we are sort of amb ambitious for ambition itself. But the true meaning of life is only found in being faithful in those mediocre things of life. In those mundane things of life. In the monotony of life. That's where Christian life is found. Being faithful right there. And for that, I would say you would need some really, really good news. <laughs> well, fortunately, that's what you get in the gospel. 
You get some really good news that makes you okay with being in those small, insignificant places. Because that's the gospel. The gospel is God coming down to us and completely inverting our notions about life and dreams and telling us to shake off our aspirations about religion and ambition and telling us just to find our greatest joys in the simplest of things. That's what it says if you if we read the letter of Paul to the Thessalonians. In 1 Thessalonians 4, he says this. He says, But we beseech you, brethren, that ye study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. He's saying, don't worry about what everyone else is doing. Study to be quiet. Have a, a quiet sense of faithfulness about you, that you be diligent, that you be patient, that you be content. And this is the message that the gospel is calling us to, to sort of have an ambition in that simple life. And that's going to look different for each and every one of us. That simple life is going to look different for all of us. Some people he calls to be businessmen or plumbers or teachers or coaches or working at a Starbucks or maybe he calls you to pastor. But regardless of your calling, the message is, it doesn't matter what you are called to, the message is the same. Live faithfully and live quietly where you are and just be faithful where you are. And this, again, this is, I don't mean to, by this to, to say that you shouldn't make long-term plans. or This isn't a, a message against five-year plans. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm making a five-year plan. I'm going to a seminary. I'm, I'm planning for the future. And I feel that God has led me into ministry. But the point isn't that we shouldn't make plans for the future. It's that we shouldn't be upset when God shakes up those plans. Because He has better plans for us. We may think we have it all figured out. Like David, we may have a good desire in our life, but God has a better plan. And we may not always know what that plan is. You see, what I had to learn in that season of God saying no to me, saying, this isn't what I want for you right now, is that when God closes a door, you know that, you know that saying, that, 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 that old cl- uh, cliche saying that when God closes a door, He opens up a window? I don't think that's true. I think when God closes the door, He doesn't always open up a window. Sometimes He just wants you to be content in the room that you're in. He doesn't want you looking for the next big thing. He wants you to just be content with where you are. And I had to learn that. That He doesn't always open up a window. Just be okay with where you are right now. He doesn't, he's the one that's going to do the changing. He's the one that's going to do the transforming. He's the one that's going to do the reforming and the renewing of this world. That's what he promises, right, in Revelation. That I'm the one that's going to make this world new. That's his job. You don't have to carry the pressure of changing the world. That's his job. And by the power of the gospel, all you have to do is just lead your family and love your neighbors really well. And the gospel gives you the grace and the power to do that. Because when God closes a door, He doesn't always open a window. Sometimes He just wants you to be content in the room that you're in. Be content where you are. Like David. (laughs) I want to build a house for you, God. God says no to him. No, that's not my plan for you. You see, I don't know 
where you are. I had to learn this season myself through experience. I don't know where, what season of life everyone's in here this morning. Whether maybe you're in a season of God's no right now. Maybe it was a job that you lost. He denied you that opportunity. Maybe it was a, it was a spouse or a significant other that, that, that has left you. Maybe it was a family that you wanted to start and God is saying no. Maybe it was a business that you wanted to get off the ground and, and it just hasn't gotten off the ground. Maybe it was even full-time ministry service and God has been saying no to you. And you don't know why. I think God has permitted this for the teaching and the purpose of teaching you about His ordinary grace that comes to us and says you can be okay where you are because I have remembered you. Even if the world doesn't know about you, I know you. I know you by name. And actually, if you read Isaiah, it says that his, your name is written on the palms of His hands. He knows you. You don't have to be known. And maybe he's wanting to remind you that he's given you already all of the yeses you could ever want in his son, Jesus Christ. That's the promise of first, or 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20 where it says, For all the promises of God in Jesus are yes and in him amen unto the glory of God by us. He might have said no to you in this season of life, but he's already said yes to you in his son, Jesus. And that's all you really need. That's the deliverance of God's denial. That he may have denied you this, but his promise of deliverance is sure because Jesus has died for you. Jesus has taken your place. As it says in that hymn that we just sung, that he is our hope, our peace, our righteousness. That is God's yes to you. That is God's promise to you of deliverance right now. I don't know where you are. I don't know what you're feeling. That's God's lesson. That's God's message to us. That we can have hope and peace in just being quietly faithful. And being okay with God's no's because Jesus is God's yes. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I'll ask the instruments to come back.